an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the match He did the monster match The monster match It was a graveyard smash He did the match It caught on in a flash He did the match He did the monster match From my laboratory in the castle east To the master bedroom Vampire's peace. The ghouls all came from their humble abode to get a jolt from my electro. Ah, it's the Halloween edition of Saturday Sports on TSN 690. I'm Joey Alfieri with John Stillwell with you till noon. We've got a busy, busy show. Uh, we'll be going to Europe. Talk to Patrick Bexel. He's the European correspondent for. Habs eyes on the prize. We'll find out how Jesperi Kotkaniemi uh, is looking. We will talk to Impact Keeper James Pantemis. He's out in Harrison, New Jersey. Impact back in action on TSN 690 tomorrow night as they take on Orlando City. Uh, And we'll also talk to the uh, most interesting man in the Canadian Football League. Some would argue the most interesting man in football, Jeff Reinbold, uh, will break down the NFL landscape for us. He's an analyst for Sky Sports, a Sky Sports England-based NFL analyst in Honolulu. Which is uh, which is pretty fun. So that goes just after eleven thirty-five. Uh, we've got a lot to get to on the show. Want to talk a lot of NFL action and what we've seen this year from rookie quarterbacks in the NFL has been nothing short of remarkable. You look at what Joe Burrow's been able to do. You look at what Justin Herbert's been able to do uh, in Cincinnati and in Los Angeles. Those two, respectively. It's been phenomenal. Like Joe Burrow's one three hundred yard passing game away from tying the rookie record for most in a season. That was Andrew Luck, who had six for Indianapolis back in the day. And Joe Burrow is one game away, and we're going into, was his week eight? That's uh, that's pretty crazy. But now all eyes turn to Tua Tagovailoa, who's going to be making his NFL debut tomorrow against the Los Angeles Rams for the Miami Dolphins. Joe Burrow was the first pick. Out of LSU, Justin Herbert was the sixth pick out of Oregon, and Tua Tagovailoa was the fifth overall pick out of Alabama. And we know that uh, the Dolphins have been a little more patient with Tua. He is coming off a significant hip injury uh, in college that, I mean, there are some who thought that he may never play again. And here he is heading into week eight, and he gets an interesting challenge against the Rams defense that you know has a Jalen Ramsey in the secondary and has uh, this defensive lineman by the name of uh, Aaron Donald who uh, he doesn't need it to be Halloween to strike fear into opposing offenses. So very curious to see what happens with Tua. We'll get into that with Coach Jeff Reinbold just after 11.35. And the other one, the other matchup that kind of jumps off the page between two scary defenses. Are you fed up with the Halloween-like references, John? The scary and all that? I have a feeling it's going to continue for a while, so I've already moved Two more past hours. It. Two I've more hours. Moved, I've moved past it over the first nine minutes of the show. Wait yeah. till you see our sport, uh, Saturday sports poll question, which is uh, going to come up in just a couple minutes. Uh, but Steelers-Ravens, 1 o'clock. That's the game of the week, uh, and you can hear it right here on TSN 690. And it's funny because the Steelers are 6-0, and and they dominated the first half against an unbeaten Titans team last week. And then they, you know, they ended up hanging on by the skin of their teeth 
but they came away with a win at Tennessee. And the Baltimore Ravens are 5-1. and one, And all you hear is how Baltimore's offense isn't really rolling. And look, I mean, they're 5-1, and one, but elite teams, they want to, you know, they have higher standards for themselves. And the offensive efficiency has come down quite a bit. Uh, Lamar Jackson in the passing game, uh, the numbers have come down quite a bit from last season's MVP year. You look around them, and the team is pretty much, the offense is pretty much the same. But there's one player who, if you're not in Baltimore, you're not a diehard NFL fan, you know, you saw him retire during the offseason, you're like, meh, whatever, Ravens are going to be fine. But that's offensive lineman, guard, Marshall Yonda. And that kind of, you know, that forced them to dress some different bodies, and they moved some offensive linemen around. And just looking at them, you wouldn't think that one guard could have that much of an impact on an offense, but I think Yonda's retirement has. And before you say, oh, you know, you know, guys come out of retirement all the time to help out struggling teams that are, you know, or struggling or teams that are, haven't hit their stride that have Super Bowl aspirations. Uh, Marshall Yonda lost like 120 or what? I forget how much weight he lost, but uh, there was an article about him during the offseason and I, I couldn't even recognize him. Like the guy was slim and trim. And he did the whole Joe Thomas thing? Yeah, yeah. You're talking about a guy who'd been over, you know, well over 300 pounds and he was down in like the low twos, which is just like, or the mid I absolutely twos. love that. Ridiculous. I love that the guys who are O-linemen or D-linemen and then they're like, you know what? I want to look Hollywood worthy <laughs> after my uh, after my my career and they slim way, way down. Maybe he can uh, help out as a tight end. Who knows? Yeah. I think they're okay at tight end, though, yeah, I think with, so. with Mark Andrews. And it's just, you know, you look at the way that that offense has been operating, and Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, I believe he won uh, assistant coach of the year in the NFL last year. And the scary part is, you know, that offense was rolling, and a lot of it had to do with how effective their run game was. I was looking at the numbers. Lamar Jackson actually runs, th- or he's averaging three fewer runs per game than he did a year ago which is quite significant. I know it doesn't sound like much, but it is significant. And in the passing game, they seriously just haven't been as effective. And you look at you know, you look at these guys that they have in the receiving game. They have Hollywood Brown, who's been, you know, who's their number one go-to receiver. Miles Boykin's been a disappointment. Willie Sneed's been a disappointment. Even Mark Andrews, I mean, that's their go-to guy, you know, the tight end, but his numbers have come down quite a bit too and so how like how did they figure this out and you have this challenge against you know a tj watt and a bud dupree and yes devin bush the middle linebacker or the inside linebacker for the steelers is is done for the year but how difficult how difficult is it for or how difficult is it going to be to move the ball on a Steelers defense that's been pretty good this year well they they defense line great you know um their front four those guys get off the ball, they get after the quarterback. Um, a lot of strip sacks. Um, TJ and Bud, they do their, they do a great job at getting to the quarterback, um, harassing the run game. Uh, I feel like our offensive line gonna be be ready and we're just gonna go out there and play football. Minka, he he's a ball hawk, you know. Um, he he's great at you know doing his thing, um, coming down, making tackles, uh, catching picks, um, scoring pick sixes, stuff like that. Um, we just I feel like our receivers and our offense gonna be ready. Just gonna have to see when the game come on. There's quarterback Lamar Jackson of the Baltimore Ravens, who's gonna have his hands full tomorrow. But 
I don't know. Like it's just for these teams that you know they find a way to win and they have they're five and one. They're coming off a bye week. I expect them to finally start hitting their stride here. Like I don't know how you feel, John, but you know I, I think they realized last year that they ran over everybody during the regular season. Mm-hmm. They got down in the playoffs against Tennessee, and I forget how many times Lamar Jackson threw the ball. It was like f- high forties, early fifties. The, the passing attempt, and that's it's just not a recipe for success. If you're Baltimore, Baltimore is going to win running the ball with you know either Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbs, like whomever, J.K. Dobbins. You know what I mean? Like that's how they're going to win. And right now, teams have taken the offseason and they've adjusted to Baltimore to a certain extent because they've really been carried by their defense. So, how long does it take Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, and the rest of the offensive, you know, the players and the staff? to hit their stride. And I think as long as they keep finding a way to win, they're okay with, you know, the tires spinning in the mud offensively a little bit. But I would be worried about this Ravens team and facing this Ravens team in the second half of the year and in the playoffs because again, they're 5 and 1 and they haven't hit their stride offensively. I really think this is a team that's going to figure it out. I mean, I I was huge on the Ravens at the start of the year. I thought they were actually going to be the best team in the AFC ahead of the Chiefs just because I loved what they did defensively this offseason. Um, but like you, not only the the loss of Marshall Yanda, I think the one of the big reasons why the offense has struggled so much is because last year they basically exclusively lined up in two tight end sets with Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews, and then they traded Hayden Hurst over the offseason to the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. And the ability to run the ball and then fake running the ball with two di- two tight end sets and Hurst is a great pass catching tight end. I just don't think they've been able to figure it out through seven weeks so far. Mm. Um, I think that the way that they're built, unless it comes down to, and the trade deadline is Tuesday, unless they're able to bring in another interior offensive lineman or they're able to promote Des Bryant from the practice squad, which would be absolutely hilarious. But I, I just feel like they need another uh, pass-catching option. option. Yeah, Hollywood Brown doesn't have the physical abilities to do it. I think he's a great... He's a speedster. I he's mean, he's a, a great burner. slot yeah. burn, burner guy, but he, he just hasn't been able to kind of be an intermediate option for them. But I think they have enough, and I think that the, the the star capability of Lamar Jackson at some point in the second half will be enough to scare some teams. I don't necessarily know if you're the Steelers or if you're a good team in the AFC that you should be necessarily completely scared of facing the Ravens in the second half. But I do think they'll be a playoff team. I do think they'll they'll well, get they're in. Well, they're 5-1, like, yeah. But but I, I just don't see anything falling apart. I just had such higher expectations for them this season. And as of now, those expectations have been dwarfed by the Pittsburgh Steelers who look – I mean, that that's the best defense I've seen in the NFL – since the Ravens of Terrell Suggs and Ray Lewis, and like I haven't seen a, maybe the Broncos. When yeah, Peyton I don't know Manning about that. Yeah, I mean that like Broncos I, team I, had no offense. You right. know what I mean? But but I mean just in terms of the defensive side of the ball, this is one of the scarier defensive teams. Oh, I see that what I've you did there on Halloween. A very long time. Nice. I didn't even try and do that. 
Uh, but ooh, <laughs> no. Uh, it, I, I think the Steelers will be very good. It's Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri, John, still breaking down the NFL landscape with you. Uh, until noon, we will talk other things. We will be talking Habs, uh, and we will be talking Impact as well. Uh, and we actually have a new feature, which is the Disaster of the Week. Ooh. That will go just before 11 o'clock. We'll, we'll give somebody, some team, or some player some heck every week uh, for a Oof. disaster. Uh, speaking of disasters, I've got the numbers in front of me for the Ravens, John, uh, offensively. So Baltimore ranks 27th in the NFL in yards per game. They're 31st in passing yards per game. So it's only one team below them. 19th in yards per play. 28th in plays per drive. And they have the ninth highest percentage of drives that end in three and outs. So, like I said, five and one, great. On paper, it looks fantastic. Defense has done a good job there. But offensively, the scary part is that they can be so much better. And Lamar Jackson could be so much better. And I think it's going to happen. I'm not worried for them. And they're five and one. So, Doesn't that I don't just... like, are the Steelers going to be, are the Steelers going to get better? You know, I don't know if the Steelers are going to get better. I feel like the Steelers have room to tail off a little bit, and I feel like the Ravens have a chance to hit their stride in the second half of the year. But I, I'm fascinated by this 1 o'clock matchup. Hold that thought. I want to make a transition now to two teams that I think are in some trouble. And Uh-oh. this leads me to my Saturday sports question of the day, which Uh-oh. you can find on Twitter, at Joey Alfieri, at TSN 690. You can text us your answer as well at 11690. We'll be reading your text messages uh, throughout the show. The question is, which team should be more afraid of what's in their immediate future? The Dallas Cowboys or the New England Patriots? And looking at the poll results so far, this one's kind of taken off quickly. It's closer than I thought. Here we go. And the team that's ahead in the poll is not the team that I thought would be ahead in the poll. So do you want to take a guess at what exactly I'm talking about between the Patriots and the Cowboys, who our listeners think should be more afraid of what's in their future? Who do you think our listeners are favoring right now? I'll go with the Patriots. The Patriots are leading at 55.3% should be more afraid of what's in their future. And <laughs> look, there's a lot of Cowboys fans in this. There, there is a lot of Cowboys fans, <laughs> but there's a lot of Patriots fans too. Um, so looking at the schedule, so the Cowboys have Monday night football, or sorry, Sunday night football against the Philadelphia Eagles. That you can hear on TSN 690 as well. The New England Patriots get the Buffalo Bills at 1 o'clock. So, I mean, I don't know who's more likely to win. The Bills have struggled a little bit of late, but I think they're clearly better right now. Uh, Julian Edelman's going on IR, and that was the most, quote-unquote, lethal weapon, in my opinion, uh, that Tom Brady has. Nikhil Harry, not a very good wide receiver, uh, looking like a first-round pick that's going to be a pretty significant disappointment. And I don't like ragging on you know the good Canadian boys in the NFL, but we've, you know, we've got to call it like we see it. I don't know, man. Like, I, but I'm still skeptical when it comes to ruling out the Patriots. As crazy as that may sound, I think that there's a better chance that they figure it out than the Cowboys figure. Just because the Cowboys are are now decimated, you know. I mean, they lost Dak, mm-hmm. and 
I know Cam's looked bad. I don't know if he's quite as good, you know, physically now. I don't know if he's quite as good as he, as he was at the start of the year. But I'm also not sure that he's quite as bad as what I saw, especially last week against Denver. I mean, the passes were sailing over receivers' heads. Uh, the passes were at their feet. He just he never looked comfortable. They couldn't get James White involved. And we know that Cam, in his career, especially the last few years, likes to dump the ball off. You know, had Christian McCaffrey out in Carolina. Has James White, who's a very good receiving back now. They didn't really get to use him last week. I think there's more room for Cam Newton to grow and improve than there is for Ben DiNucci out in Dallas. <laughs> now, I don't know. Maybe the Cowboys make a trade for a quarterback. The division's up for grabs. There's better teams in the AFC East than there are in the NFC East. But I still think I'm going to go with I'm more afraid of what's coming for the Cowboys than I am what's coming for the Patriots. So I disagree with our audience. <laughs> Um, it, it it depends on what does the future hold in terms of this season. Are we looking at multiple seasons from now? Like, what are we looking at in terms of the timeline here? Is it just the second half of the year? No, just what's coming up. Like, even in the off season, like whatever you, yeah. it's left to your interpretation. I, okay, so open ended. Yeah, I would have to say that I'm more concerned for the Cowboys as well. The the salary cap hell they're about to go into. Everybody give, got paid. Deciding John. to give all Everybody that, got paid. But never mind everybody got paid. Just receivers get paid in the NFL when you're like a second away from winning. You know what I mean? Like you expect that you're going to be able to win in two to three years. I've never been convinced by Amari Cooper. I know that's easy to say now because he's been brutal to start the year. But even the second half of last year, I just was not convinced. He was putting up these unreal games against teams like what we've seen right now, the Giants and Washington and the Eagles. He was great last year in divisional matchups. And Mm -hmm. then when the rubber met the road, he didn't show up. And the defense has been uh, just... (laughs) We can get to that for the disaster week. It has been an absolute disaster for the defense in Dallas. And I just think that... Bill Belichick has enough to at least sort out one side of the ball. The Cowboys, for me, it's both sides of the ball that they're just looking completely lost on. And at least I think Bill Belichick can scheme over the second half of the season a pretty decent defense together. And Josh McDaniels should run Cam more than he has. So yeah, I'll I'll, I'll have to agree with you that it's the uh, that it's the Cowboys that you should be more afraid of going forward. No offense there, Cowboys fans. And with no offense, I mean the greatest of offense. Again, so, look, I, I don't think the Patriots, you know, and we're getting some answers on uh, on Twitter. Our boy Mo Khan from TSN 690 writes, Cowboys will be in salary cap hell after 2021. Patriots are positioned to have cap space and draft picks, which is exactly what you said, John. Uh, Pi underscore cat, who has a picture of the Cincinnati Bengals logo as his uh, picture on Twitter, uh, says definitely Patriots. Their fans are used to winning and the Cowboys fans are used to losing. Uh, Steve says New England Patriots of decent teams in their division, unlike the Cowboys who have high end talent at quarterback. Uh, certified loser, uh, Josh Smith, 82, uh, on Twitter says, like the 40s, 50s Browns, the 60s Packers, 70s Steelers, 80s, 90s Niners, every dynasty sees its end, and now it's New England's turn. The Cowboys have been mediocre, underachievers for 25 years. Nothing has changed for them except the names 
on the back of the jersey. So most of the answers coming in right now uh, are for the New England Patriots. I don't know. I still I still think there's a chance. And listen, maybe Tua lights it up this weekend, and the Dolphins are going to take off here. Mm-hmm. And maybe the Bills, you know, they get their season back on the rails. Not that it's you know they're in too tough of a spot right now. They're they're still five and two. But all of a sudden, I mean, look, I know it doesn't look promising after last week, but you know, a Patriots win on Sunday against the Bills brings them to three and four. Again, like you're still a ways off from the playoffs at three and four, and that's best case scenario, obviously, after this week. But I don't know. You have the greatest coach in NFL history. Um, and listen, this is a team that had a lot that people forget. Dante Hightower, there's a lot of other players on that defense that walked out because of COVID, that opted out. Mm-hmm. And listen, that's their prerogative. That's fine. But the Patriots were hit harder by that than anybody. And I, I realize that making excuses for New England, not popular. <laughs> but it's it's still a fact that they did have a lot of guys walk out. You know, Cam Newton, since he's been on the COVID list, hasn't looked the same. I'm just I'm curious to see what approach the Patriots take to deadline day and what approach the Cowboys take. I'm not being glib at all here, Bill. I think the question is, if you guys lose this weekend, are you automatic sellers at the trade deadline? I think that's what everybody's wondering and kind of the talk radio fodder and maybe it's not something you entertain but that i think is is the question yeah well i i guess i'll just put it nicely and and pass on the opportunity to get involved in talk radio it's really a a tough one for me to say no to but i'm just going to say no to talk radio questions thank you thanks for asking i appreciate the opportunity to get involved hey bill at two and four is a little nicer he's a little nicer than uh He's a little nicer than usual. I you, mean, he, he would have. That, that, listen, that's pretty. That's a pretty diplomatic answer from from Bell. And by the way, Bill, I'm doing everything I can to get into sports talk radio, and you're doing everything you can to avoid it, which is totally fine by me. Uh, but that was a great. I mean, is I like the question and I love the answer. I appreciate you asking me, but uh, yeah, I'm not gonna jump into that when asked about you know trade deadline and if they're gonna make moves, if they're gonna be sellers and all that stuff. You lost him with the with the talk radio part of the question. If you would have asked the exact same question without the talk radio, maybe no, they tried. They, they, there was oh, a second. That was the second go okay. around of, of so, the trade deadline question. So the thing is with the Patriots, even if the Patriots lose to the Bills, let, let's just say even if they lose to the Bills, two and five. Game, yeah, they're two and five. If they lose, yes, I expect that. They'll probably split the season series with Buffalo because I just don't trust Buffalo's defense enough right. to, to think that even though the Patriots' offense has looked bad, I don't think the Bills' defense can cope over the last two weeks. So Shout out to uh, Justin Zimmer, uh, former uh, Alouette's defensive tackle for one game who was activated oh, by say, the Buffalo Bills uh, last week. I thought you were going to say son of Mike Zimmer, who's also no, 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 a disastrous no, no, start no, to the year. No, no, but no. the Patriots also play the Jets twice. On their schedule the rest of the year, their really only premier matchup is the Ravens and I guess the Cardinals. I guess the Cardinals are that good that you have to put them in that category now. Yeah. It's possible that they could sneak in as an 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven team. Like it, it, It's possible. Well, it just depends what that last wild card spot looks like, right, John? Because we know that Steelers-Ravens, one of those two is getting a wild card spot, mm-hmm. right? The Browns are off to a decent start. So 
There's a couple of t- wild card teams, you know, that are that could be coming out like two but AFC just, North teams, and yeah, that's but, why th- like eight and eight might not get you in. But just looking at the record, even if the Cowboys, the Cowboys losing to Washington last week was like one of the most shocking things I've seen in a long time. Like, I, I know Andy Dalton was injured in the second half, but even when he was out there, he looked absolutely terrible against one of the worst secondaries for me in the National Football League. They have a great defensive line, but regardless. Uh, the Cowboys, I can't see them winning more than five games. Like, I really can't. I can't see them winning a sixth game. The the, the entirety of the year, I'm, I'm sorry to the Cowboys. So, if you're giving my, me a choice my between Super the Bowl, two of them. That was my team to win the Super Bowl, man. I know. I, I feel bad listening between uh, between three and seven. You and, think I hear and, about it? And Melnick going off. Melnick and Gallo. I would have loved to have hear, heard Gallo and Melnick's uh pronouncements for the start of the year i think you should uh, ask that question as uh, yeah it's crossed my mind a couple times as some fodder <laughs> to say like okay i put myself out there where the hell were you two at the yeah. start of the year but uh yeah uh I-, I think the patriots have not only based on schedule but just based on the the track record of who their coaches i think they have much more of a of a chance of salvaging a somewhat decent season than the what looks like one and done Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys. Ooh, I don't know about that. Jerry's pretty Jerry Jerry's pretty loyal. Okay, uh, when at it least comes to get Kellen Moore out, out of there. One of the two. All right. Uh yes, we will have more NFL talk with uh, Jeff Reinbold, NFL analyst for uh, Sky Sports. Uh, that goes just after 11:35. Uh we will be talking Habs uh, in the next segment. I this is a little it's it's cuz it's our Halloween woo, our Halloween show on Saturday Sports on TSN 690 with Joey Alfieri. Uh, so this uh, text message is a little bit on topic when it comes to Halloween, off, talk- off topic to what we've been talking about. You ready for this? Uh, this from our boy Dan, uh, who's texting in at 11690. And we encourage you to send in your, your Halloween uh, texts and tweets and, you know, what you, you know, your mock costumes. Uh, this is a good one. This made me laugh, John, right? Uh, he says, uh, hey, Joey, I'm dressing up as Arturi Lekkonen for Halloween this year. Since I can't eat candy, it's the perfect costume. Being regularly on the doorstep and coming up empty time after time. <laughs> I like that one, Dan. That's a good one. That is, um, wow. That's very good. That's, uh, <laughs> that's pretty terrific. It's a pretty good one. So uh, we encourage you to, you know, if you want to poke fun at some athletes on this uh, Halloween day, uh, feel free to do that. John and I will be debating uh, some of our favorite and least favorite chocolates uh, a little bit later on in the show. Uh, but coming up next, Jesperi Kotkaniemi has played three games with Pori over in Finland this season. How has he looked? Is he still running opponents over? We head to Europe next to find out. This is Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Montreal Canadiens Hockey, Montreal Impact Soccer, Major League Baseball, NFL Football, the Masters, Olympics, and so much more. Your home for Major League Sports is TSM 690. It's a familiar uh, place for them, a very comfortable uh, you know, environment. And so just keep the momentum going that he, uh, that he had this summer, um, which was wonderful to watch. So, yeah, he's fortunate. I mean, our, our European guys that are over there that are playing on their old teams for the most part, um, they're very fortunate. They're really fortunate because they're good programs, it's good hockey, and they're doing what they love. It sure beats hitting the gym and, and practicing every day. 
That's uh, Rob Ramage. He's the Director of Player Development for the Montreal Canadiens, who uh, met the media earlier this week. That's uh, Anya Sperry-Kotkaniemi, who's playing out in Finland, and he's got uh, a few games under his belt, most recently yesterday, to find out about how Kotkaniemi's doing and uh, a couple of the other European-Canadian prospects on uh, Saturday Sports on TSN 690 with Joey Alfieri. Right now, we go to Gothenburg, Sweden, where we find... Patrick Bexell, he's the European correspondent for Habs Eyes on the Prize. Patrick, how are you? Thanks for doing this. I'm fine, I'm fine. It's a beautiful day. It's uh, rugby on the whole day as well. So <laughs> for, for, for me, it's a perfect sports day. Uh, Liga is about to start in about a half an hour, and the SHL is ongoing. So yeah, it's, it's uh, sports everywhere. I'm not sure uh, Mrs. Seb approves, but, but yeah. <laughs> you, I... she, uh, she handles the... Uh, the cooking today, so I'm in, in great shape. <laughs> I saw where you just got engaged. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, just engaged a week ago. Oh, congratulations! Uh, That's awesome, man. Congrats to you guys. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, commiserations to Mrs. Seb, I guess. But but yeah, for me, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> you locked her down. You you overachieved, I'm sure, just like I did. Yeah, I'll take my coverage, as they say that, sometimes. Right? That's, that's exactly right. That's well said. Uh, all right, Patrick, I saw where uh, Jesperi Kotkaniemi's most recent game with uh, Pori out in Finland uh, happened yesterday, and uh, it was actually against another Canadian's prospect, uh, Jesse Ulonen, right? How did that uh, How did that matchup play out? How did both guys look? Uh, I think they actually both look quite well, and... Uh, uh, I spoke briefly to uh, to Jesse after the game because he has struggled a little bit more maybe than the Jesper. Uh, he's uh, he hasn't looked as sharp as he did last year, and and he he has been lowered into the roster. So he's played a little bit on the fourth line, mainly on the third line, and and he's a player that really needs top two lines to succeed properly. Uh, but Pelicans is playing better and better, and, and he's playing better and better. He had an outstanding, oh, not an outstanding game, but he had a good game yesterday. Uh, he scored a great goal. Uh, his work ethic was really, really good, and, and we saw one of those rushes that we had expected to come from Yasilan, and where his uh, skating is so good, and, and he can outpace more or less any opponent. Unfortunately, still, he keeps on the outside uh, and not going towards the net. He, at the end of that rush, he... He had two guys between himself and the net, so yeah, he probably did the right thing of turning around and, and getting the puck back. But but you would want to see him, especially uh, going over to North America to, to maybe drive towards the net a bit harder. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that Joel Bouchard will work very hard on in, in, in Laval when he comes over. And, and for Jesse, it will be Laval. I can't see him making the team, especially not with the addition that has come over over the summer to, to Montreal, and it's an exciting time. But, but yes, he will need a year or two in Laval to really flourish and, and adapt into to another kind of thinking, maybe, where the rinks aren't as big and, and wide and uh, benefit from that. He has a wicked shot. He has, he has the pace. He works defensively. Um, he reminds me a little bit of Arturi Lekkonen. He's not going to make mistakes all right. the time. He's going to be quite secure, but... Uh, he needs to improve his goal scoring a little bit. It's funny, Before, pa- sorry, Patrick. Sorry, it's funny when it's funny that you mentioned Lekkonen because I'm a fan of Arturi Lekkonen. I I like uh, the player. I, I you know I, I think I would you know I would take an Arturi Lekkonen on my team. 
but then, you know, it being Halloween, we just read this text this text message from a listener, and I'll read it to you very quickly. He says, hey, Joey, I'm dressing up as Arturi Lekkonen for Halloween this year. Since I can't eat candy, it's the perfect costume, being regularly on the doorstep and coming up empty time after time. So that's kind of, that's kind of how Arturi Lekkonen is perceived here. He gets into dangerous areas. And he can't finish. So I think when people hear you compare Jesse Ilonen to Arturi Lekkonen, they kind of roll their eyes. But I'm fine with that because I like Lekkonen. Yeah, I think also that um, it's it's one of those projects that I've had over at Ice on the Price, and I can't go back, and we don't have the same kind of scoring charts that and, and shot charts as we have in from Liga, which mm-hmm. is really really good uh, with the with the stats after the games. But if you take a look at how. Lekkonen played in that playoffs where he outscored Daniel Alfredson's record for, for Frelunda in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, uh, he, he shot like one or two yards further out from the, from the net, still in high danger areas, but, but his shot was from different angles. And I think they brought him in to be a little bit of a Brandon Gallagher, mm-hmm. which is a great player to model your game on and, and have as a mentor and everything. I, I love Gallagher. I think that's probably the best signing of, of the summer. Uh, and on the other hand, he works from close in, and he has done that his whole life. Right. Whereas Lekkonen has worked from a little bit further out, and to adjust there, it takes time. It, it, mm-hmm. it probably has thrown off a little bit. It, it eats at his confidence and everything. I love Lekkonen as well, and uh, I met him so many times. So for me, when he went over, it, it, it was like a child growing up a little yeah. bit. He's Patrick Vexel. He's the European correspondent for Habs Eyes on the Prize, joining us on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Uh, but how about more specifically with Kotkaniemi? I think he's played three games now, and obviously here we haven't been able to watch them because the the uh, the Liga is blacked out. But uh, what, the first clip I saw while we were on the air last Saturday was the one you shared of Kotkaniemi running somebody over in the corner. Uh, has he has he kept up the physicality that we saw in the return to play over the summer, and how has he looked overall? I think overall he's looked very very solid. Uh, he hasn't been that physical as he was there. I think he just needed to get get it out and, and play and, and be as hard as he could. But I also think he's very um, cautious in drawing penalties mm-hmm. against his team because his team has like yesterday they struggled uh, with against uh, the man advantage and. It it really hampered them. I think he's cautious in that case, and I was going to mention that later. But but uh, Ari Pekka Sedin, he is a cautious coach, uh, and and that struggles a little bit with him. For in regards to points, I think Kotkaniemi has he has given the chances to other players. He had that blast of a shot that was 150 kilometers an hour mm-hmm. in the first game as well. He's had another couple of shots that has been been good, but but not as hard. Um, he's he's putting other players in, in positions to be successful. Uh, like yesterday, when he put a shot on, and the rebound came out, and it was an open net, and obviously it was missed. Uh, so so it's he's looking very good. But he's what a lot of Montreal fans and and um, know house and, and media and. Mm-hmm. and I'm part of that media group, obviously. Uh, what people are looking at is that um, he's on the second line. But you have to realize that uh, Coach Zidane, he has this uh, first line that really, really works. The first line with Ronnie Hirvonen, he's the top junior scorer for Asset. Peter Tivola, he's the top scorer in Asset. And then we have uh, Nick Merkley, um, 
<laughs> of, of AHL fame with yeah. the Tuscan Roadrunners in, in Arizona. <laughs> but, but you know, they, they are three there. You cannot move. Uh, you would disrupt that line that has chemistry going. And I think also that Celine is looking to cut Tanini to lead, to really take that uh, weight by the shoulders and carry that line and, div- like, make sure that that line starts to produce as well. That's my thought. Yeah. Uh, I haven't spoken to, to the coach, obviously, but I think that's how you, the reasoning goes. You don't want to mess with the line that works. You try to get the, the really good player, probably the best player on the team. Uh, well, it is the best player on the team, but, but you, you make him lead from the front. And, and I think Kotkanimi has done that. Mm-hmm. The first game that he played... Uh, the other players didn't really trust him to be able to do the things that he can do. And I think that that has changed and, and points will come sooner rather than later. Yeah, so Maybe he, even today in about in about 11 minutes, but, but something like that. Th- so they're playing again today? Yes, they yeah. are. So he has no points in three games. So basically what you're telling me is he's getting the Max Domi treatment playing with uh, Dale Weiss and, uh, and Jordan Wheel. He's setting guys up, but nobody's finishing. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. <laughs> It's it's also Kevin Kevin Mackey. I'm sorry, I'm I'm, I'm slaughtering Finnish names here, but <laughs> at least there's a Swedish name at the end of it. Sebastian Benstrom, who right. also played in the AHL but never really scored. So I think you know he's they're looking to that um, to Kotkaniemi to set these guys up and and make sure they get going and maybe get some confidence going. He's looking good. He's he's obviously in one way he's he's playing for two on that line right but, but he he's he's getting there and he's getting stronger he looks really strong obviously he has more space to work with and and that benefits him sometimes as well mm-hmm. um what i was really impressed with is how he covers the puck obviously these are not nhl players but but he covers the puck really really well and and i think that that is something to look forward to and and hope that he continues doing and take that confidence into the NHL when, whenever NHL starts because we don't really know yet. Yeah, exactly. All right, here's uh, the director of uh, player development, Rob Ramage, uh, talking about another Canadian's prospect. Norlander, I spoke to him yesterday. He said he's playing 19 minutes a game right now. Uh, he's playing on the power play. And I said, well, how's it going? And he said, well, I'm doing okay, but I need to improve, need to get stronger. He's a humble guy. He's quiet, but there's a confidence within him, and when he's on the ice, you see that confidence come out. Yeah, that's uh, so. Ramage talking about Matthias Norlander. He's been in the on, uh, anyways, in the Twitter sphere. Uh, Patrick, I mean, he's he's been the Canadians' prospect whose name seems to be coming up more and more. Like some people think he has, uh, like I know Jack Hand, the former uh, Maple Leafs. Uh, or the Marlies assistant coach in the AHL thinks, you know, he came out a, a couple weeks ago and said that he thinks that Norlander can be a star. Like, what's what's it been like for Norlander uh, out there, and, and how has he looked, and, and what do you think the upside is? Do you think there's legitimate superstar upside? I'm going to be able to say this, and, and I don't want to reveal too much, but David Saint-Louis, who is eyes on the prize, you know, superstar as well, Yeah, uh, he we are currently collaborating on a, Big, big Norlander article. I've, I've spoken with Coach Ramberga Frölunda, with Christopher Naslund, the, the defensive coach. I've spoken with Norlander himself a little bit, but, but mainly on the coaches in order to grasp what they're seeing and how they're using him because it's a little bit of the same treatment as, as uh, not, not treatment, but the fans and media are looking at, oh, three points in 11 games. That's not very good from, from Norlander. He's part of the national team. It's, it's, a, it's sort of a B team, 
but he's part of the national team. He's been called up to the national team for the upcoming tournament next week. This is the first time for for him as a senior to be joined there. He's doing very well. Um, I texted with him the other day, and he said it. it he thinks his defensive game feels better, and he, he did a thumbs up, Vimoy, and then and better. And um, the defensive side of my game is starting to to feel better for every game. And uh, when that works, you can start having the offense kick in. And then we we spoke about obviously people have seen the Michigan move as we call it the sorrow move here in Sweden, uh, and he was like, yeah, we're just doing this uh, at free skating and practice, and you know I was there at the game and it just happened and a laughing emoji, you know. So he's got the confidence, he's got the boost, he's got everything going for him. But I mean, as as much as Ramage speaks about him and the Twitter where is is burning up with him, obviously, and it already did last year. I think you have to be a little bit cautious with him. Uh, he's not even on the first pairing in front of him yet. The, the coaches love him. Uh, let's be honest with that. And that these are two of the best coaches to have in, in Sweden at the moment. So, so his development is fantastic. He's getting to play about 19, 20 minutes a game. He's on the first unit, on the power play. But it's a power play that's struggling a little bit because Fulham has lost some key players. And uh, they've asking... Uh, um, Lucas Raven as well, a, a, Montreal, uh, a Detroit draft pick, yeah. um, to, to share that load. And while he and Norlander finds them finds each other very well, they're also struggling a little bit because it goes a little bit faster. Uh, opponents are, are hitting them harder, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so it, yeah, he's going to get the points and. I love this quote by Runberg. I've, I've used it in probably four or five of my articles. I was talking to Runberg himself about it in, in one of my podcasts, and uh, what, what we see, what he says is that he's the gardener right now. He's nurturing the plants. He's putting fertilizer on. He's watering <laughs> them. He changes the temperature, and come playoff time, that's when he just leans back and reaps in the rewards from what he'd done at this time of the year. So I think it's very important to consider what are we doing later? Yeah. They're already looking to the playoffs. You don't get they those quotes in the NHL. Nah, I think it's more of a development league in the SHL. But, right. but yeah, you, so, so you can see that. I love Ernberg. I love quotes like that. He has a few of them. Yeah, and, and you were talking about the... Sorry, you were talking about the Michigan goal before. That's the Mike Leg goal for people who aren't aware who are listening, saying, what's a Michigan goal? Uh, that's the goal where you pick up the puck behind the net and you kind of swoop. Uh, you lift it up and you swoop it in uh, in the yeah, top like corner. Yeah, style of goal, right? The lacrosse goal, exactly. Yeah. He's Patrick. He, he didn't succeed with his goal, but, but he... I mean, like, he's a defender behind the net and he's trying. Yeah. It. So, <laughs> you know, that speaks about his confidence. Don't I kidding. Mean, uh, g- give him a year, give him two years. I think he will stay here because... The CBA mentions that since he's not a first-round draft pick, if he doesn't make Montreal and if the season starts normally next October, he will have to be offered back to Frölunda and play the full season there. And we've seen that Montreal has, after the Kohlberg incident, really, yes. where they brought Sebastian Kohlberg over, and he lost his position on the first power play unit in Frölunda. And it went to Andreas Johnson, uh, who, who took that position. And when Kohlberg came back from camp, he never had a chance of taking it back. So I think they're going to be cautious with Norlinder unless they know that he's going to take a spot. First and foremost, he has to be signed. That's the first thing we have to look for come May uh, to July. If Norlinder is signed, then we know what Montreal is thinking. 
Uh, if he isn't, then it's a full year in Fulham and they will sign him after that. Yeah. They will have every right to do that. I think he will be a star, yeah. Wow. I think he will be the offensive star that Montreal will need because my other favorite is, is uh, Alexander Romanov, the star, as I call him. Uh, he's he's going to be the defensive star. Right. That, so that's the so next one. Yeah, that, that's what I wanted to ask you about here. We've got a couple minutes left. He's Patrick Bexel from Habs Eyes uh, on the prize joining us on Saturday Sports with Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. I know you keep a close eye on the KHL as well. And with Romanov making the leap, I mean, it's you don't really hear about this, or you don't hear this from you know general managers, let alone Mark Bergevin. But every time they've talked about him, they've said, "Hey, we expect him to be on the team next year." So no pressure, kid. They've added Joel Edmondson uh, on that left side. But what do you think we'll be able to expect from Romanov whenever the season gets going? Big hits. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he he plays with a passion, and then. He's a very un-Russian defender in many ways. He he has all the the skating that Russians have. It's it's fantastic. Uh, he he has the understanding of the game. He's grown up with uh, his grandfather is is a former hockey player in the Olympics. Uh, his dad was also a former hockey player at a high level. You know he's grown up with hockey in his blood. He he's got all the attributes. He, he doesn't have maybe the offensive upside that Norlander has, but you know, pair Romanov with Petrie or, or someone similar to Petrie, and you will have a pairing for the ages mm-hmm. where one guy can really step up and, and be that offensive guy, and the other one would will lean back a little bit, be a libro if you speak football language, and, and cover more of the ice that way. And with the speed and the passion and the, 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 the hits that Romanov has, yeah, um, you, you want that guy. And I've actually spoken to a couple of NHL uh, scouts and uh, development, uh, um, what do you call it? Development guys, coaches, in, yeah, in NHL coaches, yeah, in NHL. And in a redraft, everyone says Roman will go to top five. Top five. Top five. I, you know, what's funny. Heard, I remember higher numbers than that. Wow, heard the higher numbers than that. But but yeah, top five is is more or less the consensus. It's just it's Salina Sveshnikov, and then it's like what toss up. It's so funny, Patrick, because I remember when they made that pick and everybody was scrambling, looking up for information on this guy because they had no clue who he was and, oh, this was a re... That's why I hate, or not hate, but, you know, I don't put much into, you know, the the, the following, you know, the, the day after the draft, you get all these grades and articles about, you know, how I teams did. I'll be honest, I was one of them. I, I know, and, and so was I. So was I, but the, but the, the Romanov pick goes to show... That we just don't know. You, when you're dealing with 18 year olds, you just don't know. And so I, I yeah, you know, I mean, like look at look at Norlander. He was passed over the first the draft. first year. Yeah, he got drafted in 19. Yeah, so so you have these. You know, you, you need a late bloomers. Romanov was a late bloomer. He he stepped up in the under 18 World Championship, I think, and that was the first time. And fair play to to I think it was McKenzie that had him at 80. You know, yeah, <laughs> and, and and the rest was was even further down that, and I was really happy because we had this in, in eyes on the prize. You know, our draft coverage is, is superb, big, biggest day of the year. It's for, fantastic, for, for but but we sit there and you go like, so Patrick, if there's a European in the first pick of the of the of the second round, you get it because you got the Europeans down. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay, we got Jesse Ilanen, great. And then someone says, Patrick, we got this Romanov guy. Who the hell is he? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm writing the and I don't have time for that. <laughs> so, Patrick, what's coming up? What do you guys have coming up? I know you mentioned the Norlander article, but what do you have coming up on uh, Habs Eyes on the Prize? 
Uh, well, I'm obviously I'm covering the the European guys, so we got the the I'm, I'm working on on my column that comes out every Monday about the European players and mm-hmm. how it, how they're adapting that week and, and what's going on. And obviously next on Monday we'll mention a, we'll take it up a notch and, and speak about Norlinder again. Obviously, hopefully we get some Kotkaniemi and, and Jesse Ilonen uh, stuff from today. Jakob Olsson is currently playing, uh, not going too well it seems. For his team, but yeah, but otherwise we got the top twenty-five under twenty-five, which is also one of those prediction things where we always mess up one way or another. Well, that's okay. And, uh, and uh, but it's a fun, and I think it's it's for the off season. It's something that we all cherish, both readers and 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 writers. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. We look back, we see what we projected last year. We see, obviously, even within the writers group, we have some different variables that we look at. And, and we will rank the players differently. And there will be some calls out and call out this time again. I think mostly it's on me. Uh, uh, but but yeah, I, I know I have a fan favorite quite low. Uh, I can't reveal whom, but but because uh, you can vote until tomorrow. I think yeah. so go to Ice on the Price and vote. Um, put put your own skills in. Uh, the, the more the merrier and the more the better because the consensus ranking will probably be the correct ranking in the end anyway, uh, no matter how much of an input you think I have on the Europeans or, or David Saint-Louis on the, on the North Americans. You know, everyone is good. And, and I think it's really interesting to see. Uh, and the, the further, the higher up we get, everyone is more or less the same anyway. Then it's like a move up and down. You know, should Suzuki be number one, Kotkaniemi number two, or Romanov and Orlinder and Kaufil, obviously, and then we got Brooks and everyone else coming up as well, Strudel. So, you know, there, there are some really good ones, and, and obviously Montreal has possibly one of the best um, prospect pools in NHL right now. So it's an exciting time as well. It was not like, you know, a couple of years ago we were sitting there and it was Pacioretty and Zuban and Price. And yeah, everyone knew that. it's changed. Uh, yeah, so it changed. We got And you got players that probably... You know, lines up in ten to fifteen that has played games in the NHL already. Lucas Vadimo is one of them. I, I expect him to be somewhere between ten and twenty. And uh, you know, he's already played seven games. He scored a goal, but he's not on the top ten of a prospect, obviously because he's always ranking out of the top twenty-five anyway. Yeah. But y- y- you got these players that there, there will be some really good players in the top fifteen. Yes, and some depth, sure. some depth guys too, right? Yeah, depth yeah. guys and the stars, and we got Gouley coming in as well. Yeah. It's when, very exciting where everyone ranks in. When does this come out, Patrick? On Monday, you said? Or you can vote till Sunday? You can vote until Sunday, and then we start with like the guys that has uh, left the 20, under 25 because they've grown or, or moved away or been traded or, or turned down hockey completely. Uh, or you, And then it starts with the near misses as well. Uh, so you look at you know who's between 25 and 30, and then we get one every day for the next month, more or less, where one profile will come out and there will be a lot of heated discussion about some of it. That's for sure. Thanks for doing this, Patrick. We appreciate it, man, and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Uh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And uh, everyone, have a good Halloween and stay safe. Absolutely. That's Patrick Bexel from Habs Eyes on the Prize, who was uh, kind enough to join us from uh, Gothenburg, Sweden. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely exciting with all the young players that are coming up.
through the uh, Montreal Canadian system. But we will talk a little impact next. James Pantemis has patiently been waiting his turn to start for his hometown team, the Montreal Impact. This month, he finally got to play a string of games. How did it feel to come away with his first MLS win? And is there more games for him on the horizon this impact season? The impact keeper will tell us next on Saturday Sports on TSN 690.